The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 21 through 21. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this morning, uh, as we find ourselves in the ninth commandment, if you haven't been for us, uh, been with us for a while, or maybe this is your first time with us, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and uh, we were going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through that, and uh, we found ourselves in chapter 20, where God has given the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, and we decided that'd be a good spot for us to slow down a bit and walk through each one of those Ten Commandments one by one, and I hope that uh, as we've done that, that that's been enjoyable for you. Uh, I was just um, praying with our, 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 our leadership group this morning and just kind of saying that week after week, we're, we're kind of, we come in over and over and over again and just see uh, how much we need Jesus through these Ten Commandments. When we hear things like, don't steal and don't lie and don't covet, and uh, there, there's just something in that that should cause us to recognize that, man, I, I cannot do this under my own strength and my own power, and I do, in fact, need a Savior, and, and hopefully you're seeing that as well as we walk through this. And uh, as the Israelites have been given the Ten Commandments here, these are people that have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And now what's happened is God has rescued them and he's telling them, this is how you best live your life as a free people. This is how a people who have been freed uh, will represent God to a watching world. And we saw in the first four commandments, they all dealt with the vertical relationship between man and God. The first four commandments were have no other gods before me, no idols, don't use the name of the Lord in vain, and remember the Sabbath. And then we come to the next six commandments and they're all about horizontal relationships, how we live in relationship Uh, to the people 
around us. Last week, we looked at the uh, eighth commandment, do not steal. And this week, we find ourselves in the ninth. So as we come to the ninth commandment, we are uh, taught here about telling the truth. And there's something about that that should kind of grab our attention right away. Like imagine a world with no lying. Imagine a world where people meant what they said and said what they meant, and there was no mixing of words, and there wasn't this kind of, is that person saying this, or are they really saying that? We just, we just knew. Husbands in the room, imagine a place where your wife asked you, does this dress make me look big, and you can feel safe to answer. Wives, imagine a world in which your husband does five bicep curls and asks you to feel the pump, right? You can be honest. We all desire a place like that, right? A place that's safe, a place where you can be you, uh, a place where there's no pretenses, a place that's free. But many of us struggle on how to get there. How do we find a place like that? How do we live in a place like that? And a lot of people, as we look around our society, and maybe even some of us in the room this morning, spend our entire lives living a lie because we never find that place of freedom. We never find that place where we can uh, know and be known truly by other people. So what happens is we end up building up a lie about ourselves to, to feel good in front of other people's. And, but today this commandment is all about how to live honest and open lives without needing to lie, without needing to manipulate or exaggerate uh, in order to gain the approval or the acceptance of others. We're going to look today at Exodus chapter 20. If you have a Bible, let's grab that uh, and turn there over to verse 16. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16 as you turn there this morning, uh, let's, let's stop and pray for a moment, and then we'll really jump into this, okay? Uh, Father, we're thankful uh, this morning that you've called us in. We're thankful for a break in the midst of our week. God, we've, uh, some of us have been on spring break this week, and we've enjoyed great vacations, and we've enjoyed great friends, and we've had house guests, and others of us had it maybe the week before, and now we're falling back into our regular rhythm of things, and God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, would you help us to understand this commandment? Would you help us to understand what you want from your people in the ninth commandment? God, as we talk today about not lying and not bearing false witness, uh, may you stir up something inside of us that shows us the truth about ourself and then the more glorious truth of yourself. God, may we see this morning that we need you uh, to rescue us from our lying lips May we be okay with that fact that we do need a Savior in order for that to take place. God, today, would you help us? Would you empower us and embolden us and, um, to be a people who are called by your name uh, and that represent you well to a watching world? We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. If you came in and you didn't have a Bible, there should be one on your, around your feet somewhere. You can grab that one. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one. Let that be a gift uh, from us to you. Uh, if you want to pull it up on your phone, that's fine as well. You can do that. Uh, or if you want to uh, peer awkwardly uh, over your neighbor's shoulder, that will work as well. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. As we come in this morning, fundamentally, most of us uh, would agree that lying is wrong. Most of us know that that's not something you should do. It's not something people uh, should do. And one of the first things parents typically teach their children is not to lie. Parents, we know the pain that lying causes. We know the deception that's underneath of lying. And we've seen maybe how relationships are hurt through lying. And, and we just we don't want our kids to do that. My wife has three brothers, and uh, two of them are older and one's younger. And the older brother, uh, when his younger brother was born, went into his younger brother's bedroom, and he pinched him while he was asleep. 
just pinched him on his arm and, and, he, and he, the baby started crying everywhere and the older brother quickly ran out of the room and the mom came in and she noticed right away though that, that the baby had a red mark on his arm and she called her, uh, her son in and said, did you pinch your little brother? And he said, I didn't see me do it. <laughs> you see, telling the truth helps us get to the bottom of things. In a situation like that, the mother's trying to get to the bottom of why her baby's crying, right? How she can best soothe the child now that something's happened to it. But as we get older, we see that the stakes get a little bit higher when it comes to lying. Lying has a little bit more serious of a consequence as we get older. Recently, there's been several notable cases of lying seen in kind of the mainstream media, right? People saying one thing, but then us kind of finding out on the other thing that that wasn't actually true. If you remember a few years back, there was a news anchor named Brian Williams. And Brian Williams uh, was kind of caught in the middle of, of some lying. And people kind of called him to the carpet about it and asked him about it. And you, you might remember what, what Brian Williams said. He said, oh, I misremembered. I misremembered. It sounds a lot like... I didn't see me do it, right? I misremembered. What Brian was really saying was, I lied. I lied. I didn't tell the truth of the circumstances. I wasn't in that place. I didn't do that thing. And for weeks and, and maybe even months, there were, there were memes all over the place kind of about Brian Williams, and, and he got kind of made fun of quite a bit. And, but it cost Brian more than just kind of getting made fun of. It actually cost him his job. It cost him his reputation. It cost him, uh, it called into question anything that he had ever reported on. People went back for years and, and looked at things. See, false information distorts the truth of what actually happened, and, and now we're left wondering if that was really the truth because we, a lie was brought to the light, and, and now we see it for what it is. My mom used to say growing up, she said, what a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. Anybody heard that one before? My mom used that all the time, okay? Judy Miller, you can quote her on that, okay? What a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. It's just, right, one lie leads to the next, and then to the next, and then to the next. And pretty soon we're down a road, and we don't really know how we got down that road. I didn't plan on telling this story, but, but I, I found out through this that I've lied quite a bit in my life. And, so, and I'm not really proud of that, but when I was 12 years old, uh, I, I walked home from school, and my friend John walked home with me one day. And John was not supposed to walk home with me that day. We were, I wasn't supposed to have anybody in the house uh, while my parents weren't there. So I got home, and John came over, and uh, me and John were having fun, playing video games, doing what 12-year-old kids do. And um, all of a sudden, we looked up at the clock, and my mom was due home in like four minutes. And I said, dude, you got to go. So John quickly got his stuff together and bolted out of the house. And I was standing at the kitchen window and, and John was walking by. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to like hit the window to scare John, right? As he walked by. So as he walked by, I threw my hand up and I hit the window. And when I hit that window, it shattered it, just busted it. And I cut my hand. It was a double paned window. So just the inside glass broke and not the outside. And I was, you know, bleeding, like typical 12-year-old boy, like thought I was dying, right? Like it's got to be close to an artery. And I was, I was, uh, in that moment, I made the decision that I cannot tell the truth about this because I'm going to get in trouble. John wasn't supposed to be here. So I made up this story that I was sitting on the back of the kitchen chair and I fell backwards and I threw my hand back and hit the window. Made sense. Mom came home. She, she saw, you know, I you know, quickly ran to her. Mom, I hurt myself, right? And told her this is what happened. And she, she believed me and she took me down to the hospital. I had to get a tetanus shot over this and the windows busted. And, and uh, my dad came home and, and they ended up getting the window fixed and all this. And um, years later, I think I was probably about 20 years old. 
And one of my sisters said something along the lines of that time I broke the kitchen window. She was like, can you believe, like, why would somebody sit on the back of a chair? Like, that doesn't make any sense to do that. And, and then to fall. And like, she's like, you deserved it. You got, and I was like, what are you talking about? She said, you fell out of the kitchen chair and hit the window and messed your hand all up. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally what happened. <laughs> that's absolutely what happened. And I, I believe I was probably about 20 years old at the time. And I came clean to my family at that point and said, actually, Here's what really, really happened. So like seven years, I guess, is the time span of like when it's safe now to tell the truth. But you see, like I, I told that lie one time, but I had to tell it over and over. I had to tell it to the doctor at the hospital. I had to tell it to my sisters. I had to tell it to my dad. I had to tell it to the neighbor. I had to tell it to my teacher at school. That's why my, my hand was wrapped up. And this, this lie just continued and compounded and went on and went on and went on. So much so that years later, people were still talking about that time up fell off the chair that I didn't fall off the chair. James, the brother of Jesus in, J- in James chapter, or excuse me, yeah, James chapter three and verse six, James says this about our tongue. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Listen in verse eight, he says concerning the tongue, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. James had already said earlier that, the, that a great forest is set afire, set ablaze by only a small fire. Listen, James is telling us that our tongue is a powerful instrument, and with it, we can, we can do great damage, or we can do great good. This morning, as we find ourselves here looking at the ninth commandment and kind of face-to-face with telling the truth, we have to be aware that our tongue, is, though it may be a small instrument, can do a great amount of damage. You see, we don't really realize how much damage our tongue can cause because we've kind of become numb to the effects and we don't realize that every time we're lying, we're sending out sparks and we're starting small fires all around us. And just like a fire consumes everything in its way, when we aren't careful with our words, they consume everything in our path and they begin to destroy authentic community for you and for me. In Hosea 4 verses 1 and 2 God has a problem with the Israelites and how they're living. Listen to the words God speaks through the prophet. He says, hear the words of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Okay, so God's got a problem with the Israelites. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. From this passage of Scripture, it sounds like where there's lying, there is all kinds of evil. Lying is just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Where lying is found, we will also find murder, stealing, committing adultery, and bloodshed following bloodshed. We will find broken community all over the place. You see, lying is a a reflex of a sinful heart, and it all started in the garden. We see Satan come in and, and begin lying right off the bat to Eve, and he deceives her. He tells her, well, that's surely not what God said. God surely didn't say that that would happen to you. And, and what the devil does is he speaks deception and he causes her to distrust the words of God. And she looks at the fruit and she recognizes that it looks good and she takes it and she eats it and then she shares it with her husband. And, and there's some interesting things that play out here. And, and what happens when they eat this fruit is it costs Adam and Eve intimacy with each other and it costs them intimacy with God. Just a few verses later, we find the first couple hiding their nakedness. Remember, before this, they were totally comfortable 
in their nakedness. But now that they've believed the lie, now that they've been deceived, their lying has caused them to feel the weight of their exposure before a holy God. Right? The next scene goes on and they hear God coming. And what do they do? They, they run and they hide and they get behind the bushes. And God walks in and he says, where are you? And Adam begins to, to spew out lies. Well, we were, we were naked and we were ashamed. So we hid. Now, Adam told part of the truth, right? They were naked and they were ashamed and they did hide. But why? Why were they hiding? You see, Adam told part of the truth in this situation. When Adam was asked by God where he was, he lied to get out of trouble. He didn't realize that God had already seen him naked and exposed and it hadn't bothered God before. But now that Adam feels the weight of it, he's scared and he's alone and he lies. You see, Adam lied for the same reason we lie. You see, Adam lied to make himself look better, to make himself look kind of noble in the situation, maybe stronger. Adam lied to look more successful than he actually was. He, he made it seem like he was doing a good thing by hiding. But all the while, he's lying. You see, lying is a refusal to take ownership. Lying is a refusal to take ownership for who we really are. You see, lying is under every murder. Lying is under every theft. Lying is under all of adultery. Those who make a practice of lying are only few, a few steps away from greater sins. Parents, we know this, and this is why we teach our children not to lie, right? Because we know it will lead to other things. It will lead to a, a lifestyle that's not healthy, a lifestyle that's not good and not honoring to God. You see, we lie and we deceive and we manipulate because we want people to think better of us than what we actually are. And there are a lot of ways in which we do this. See, maybe you invent something about yourself that isn't true. Maybe you fabricate some details uh, to make more of yourself, whether that's on a job application or whether that's on your Facebook account or your Twitter account or your Instagram account. You've got something in your profile there that's not totally true, but it's not totally a lie. It just makes you look a little bit better, right? Social media is kind of all about making ourselves look a little better, right? Oh, I can look a little more tan. Ooh, the black and white filter, filter makes me look great right? It's all a lie to deceive in order to manipulate, to show people this is who I really am. Think about the pictures we post on social media. I don't often uh, post pictures of my kids lying on the floor throwing temper tantrums. Why? Because I want you to believe that I'm a good parent. So I don't have children that throw temper tantrums, at least not on Facebook or Instagram, right? My little girl, she's, she's 10 weeks old now. Like I, I don't post you the pictures of when she spit up everywhere or when she's blown out the back of that diaper, right? I post you the pictures of when she's fresh and new and she's got the bows, right? Because I'm a good parent. and I want you to know that. I want you to see that, right? Those of you that have these big giant babies, right? You're like posting these pictures like, look how healthy this child is, right? And you don't show the picture of, of, of again, the, the, the other stuff that comes along with that, right? Like, we, we are manipulating the situation. We want, ourselves, we want people to, to know what we want them to know about us. We, we fib. We provide a half-truth. Well, see, we're, we're saying some of the truth, but not all of it. We'd rather settle for partial truth than total honesty because it makes us look better. It makes us look better. And we do this because we aren't actually satisfied with who we are. So we go about the task of creating the version of ourselves we want to be. And what we're really doing is we're hiding. We're hiding. We're hiding behind this, this image. We're hiding behind this mask and we're refusing to be truly known. We want people to just know enough about us that, that they like us, 
Right? We don't want them to see the crazy that goes on. Let me give you a story again from my life. You guys are going to be like, this dude has no uh, right to be behind a pulpit after this morning. So I'll stand next to it. <laughs> when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was a pretty good runner. And uh, I won the 800-meter indoor state championship uh, my senior year of high school. But what I didn't tell you in that story was right before the finish line, there was a guy behind me that stumbled and tripped. And when he did, he flailed his arm out and he tripped me too. And I stepped out of bounds before I crossed the finish line and they disqualified me from winning that race. Now, if you were to ask me, did I win the 800 meter indoor state championship in 2000? Yes, I did. Did I cross the finish line before everybody else? Absolutely. But did I go home with the medal? No. Nope. You might say, well, that's just a white lie. Like, that doesn't hurt anybody, right? Like, nobody's hurt in that situation, but that too is a lie. You see, one, I'm hurting my testimony because I, I'm telling you information that's not true, but it also discredits Rob Laboo, the guy who actually won who didn't win. But, like, <laughs> like sorry. <laughs> like, did I beat Rob? Yes. But that's only part of the truth. You see, Rob went home with the medal. Rob's yearbook says that he won it. The newspaper said that Rob won it. Okay? Rob won it. All right? <laughs> but if you were to ask me about it, I won that race. I beat him. I ran faster than him. Even falling down, I was faster than him. Right? Like, there's no way that kid won that race. But in that, my intention is to deceive you. See, I'm telling you something about myself that's actually not totally true. My intention is dishonest there. I told the truth, but I left out a key, key detail that put me at a disadvantage. See, I'm overstating my accomplishment. I'm putting myself in the best possible light. It's misleading and it's twisting of the situation. It actually makes it harder for you to now know me because I haven't been honest with you from the get-go. You see how that plays out in every other area of life as well? how that plays out in our missional communities, how that plays out in our fight clubs, how that plays out in our marriages. When we practice this, this, this lying and this twisting of situations, we make it almost as if it's impossible to really know who we are. For other people to know us and for us to know others, because I've now put up a wall that says, well, this is the most you can know about me. This is as close as you can get. And I think if we're honest, we've all done this. We've misled, we've misquoted, we've misinterpreted. We twist someone's word to place them in a negative light by taking things out of context. What we do is we've exchanged the truth for a lie. And this is destructive on every level. Lying destroys authentic community. And these last six commandments are all about uh, living in authentic community and how to function as a community. And for a community to flourish, there has to be truth. There has to be truth. We see this play out in every type of community, in the church, in your workplace, in your home. If, if, if your home or your work or your church is a place of dishonesty, there is not true community there. It can't be had. You see, the ninth commandment is a call to be truthful and to love our neighbor. You see, the ninth commandment is about not lying, but it's also about loving our neighbor. It's about loving our neighbor. You see, when we're honest with people, when we can be real with people, we love them because we don't put up walls. We don't put up pretenses. We don't put up fake news about ourselves. See, the last six commandments deal with how to love people. And as we see the text say, do not bear false witness, it's teaching us to love our neighbor by being truthful with them. Like, that sounds so simple, right? It sounds so easy. 
You see, one of the contexts here for the Ninth Commandment that we may have missed is the Ninth Commandment was actually very helpful in a court of law. You see, here in the, in the book of Exodus, they didn't have a court system like we have today. You see, the court relied heavily upon eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts. See, they didn't have forensic evidence and fingerprinting and all the things we have today. They didn't have a CSI team that came and, and, and checked for fingerprints to see if this goat was somebody else's goat or to see if this part of the fence was somebody else's part of the fence, right? Or like those sandals were actually my sandals. Like they just didn't have the tools to be able to do that. So they relied on eyewitness accounts. So the testimony of a witness was a big deal. You see, God was showing his people how you give testimony matters. So what's being condemned in the ninth commandment is a lying witness, someone who fails to testify honestly on behalf of someone accused of a crime. Think about why would anyone falsely accuse someone? Why would anyone bear false witness against another person? Well, it would be to get ahead. It would be to gain some sort of advantage over them. It would be to get what that person has because now you feel like you've worked for it or you've earned it or you need it more than that person. It's robbed us of an opportunity to live in authentic community. You see, we, we lie because we feel like we haven't been given something we need and now this will be the thing that makes us who we want to be. To make the matter even, even greater... In, in the book of Exodus here, we'll find, and actually as it goes on in Deuteronomy in the book of Numbers, we find that, that in cases that there was a capital offense, the person who bore witness against that person would actually be the person to throw the first stone in, in, their, um, in the case of them being put to death. You see, that takes it to a whole nother level, right? It's one thing to lie about somebody, but it's another thing to, to pick up the first stone and cast it at that person. You see, this, this would make it very, very hard for a person to continue on with a lie. See, it's one thing for me to lie to you or a lie about you, rather, but it's another thing to pick up a rock and actually murder you with it because of the lie that came out of my mouth. You see, I think if we saw the consequences for lying in a different light, we might be not so quick to do it as well. And if the witness was actually what the witness was saying was proven false, that person, person would actually have the situation flipped on them, and now they would be the one punished with death. So if I bore false witness against you, and I was found out to be the real liar, now I'm the one culpable for the charge. I'm the one that's due to die. Hmm. We live in a much different time than that, though. We live in a time where our court system is slow, where the justice system is bogged down. We watch shows like Making a Murderer, and we think, man, there is so, this is like rigged. Like, how can so much lies and deception be told, and, and that it's just unfair, the things we see. And we've kind of been taught to distrust witnesses, and maybe even the whole court system. You see, we live in a time where people's words don't actually mean that much. Right? You've probably been in conversation with someone before and they said something to you and it may sound like truth, but we're just, we've just become a skeptical people right? because we've been surrounded by lies for so long that now when we actually hear truth, we're like, I don't know. And what do we do? We run to Google, right? We run to Snopes. We run, run to all these places to find out what's, what's really happening here, what's really going on here. But listen, Philip Riken in commenting on the, um, on the Ninth Commandment says this, where there is no truth, there can be no justice. And I would add there, would be, there can be no community. Where there's no truth, there can be no justice. And there can be no community. 
This is why the ninth commandment is so important for the people of God. Their word and ours alike is supposed to mean something. You see, when the believer speaks, people should know that our yes is a yes and our no is a no, and we don't have to cover it up with anything else. We don't have to cover it up with story time. We don't have to cover it up with falsities. We can just say yes and no. And, and people will know because of who we are and whose we are that that's enough. That we don't need to build it up anymore. You see, our words matter and our words are important. The ninth commandment forgets, forbids falsehood against my neighbor. And you might ask, well, who is my neighbor? And we've talked about this kind of every week as we've been talking about these, these last six commandments here. Everyone that you come in contact with, Jesus says, is your neighbor. And one of the most unloving things we could do to our neighbor would be to lie to them or about them. See, God's given us the ability with our words to lift people up or tear them down. God's given us the ability with our words to praise him and bless others, to encourage, to love, to lift up, to spur on. But when our mouths are full of lies and deceptions, it's impossible to encourage someone. It's, possible, it's impossible to love them or lift them up and spur them on when we're trying to gain an advantage over them. Paul, in some of his letters to the early churches, warns us to watch what we say. In 2 Corinthians 12.20, he talks about quarreling, slander, and gossip. In Galatians, he says that discord and dissensions were sinful in nature. In Ephesians 4.31, he tells the church to get rid of slander and malice. See, Paul was placing a high value on the words that come out of the believer's mouth. Slander, malice, quarreling, and gossip are not to be among believers. And let's just talk about gossip just a little bit this morning because it, it falls into this category. Oftentimes, we, one of the most hurtful things we can do is, is to gossip about somebody. And you might be, say this morning that, well, gossip's not lying, and that, that's, that's a partial truth. Gossip may not be lying because you're sharing the truth about someone, but gossip is not loving your neighbor. So gossip falls short of the ninth commandment. You see, lying doesn't have your neighbor's best interest in mind. We're bearing false witness against them. Listen to how much more Scripture has to say about gossip. Scripture says in Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. You see, when we gossip, though, we rob that person of their good name and we intend to do harm to that individual. We've stolen from them. And in a sense, we've even murdered them with our words. Hear the weight behind that. When we gossip about someone, we're actually not only breaking the ninth commandment, we're murdering that person in a sense. We are robbing from them in a sense. We're stealing from them. You see, the words we're sharing in our gossip may be true, but the testimony is false because it's malicious. It's unloving. We were talking in our, in our staff meeting or in our sermon prep time even this week, and, and Joel had said, like, there's a time in which, like, people are talking about other people, and maybe you don't know the people that are being talked about. So I'm talking about you to you about my friend Joe, and I'm telling you all about my friend Joe's life. So all you know about Joe is the words that I have told you about Joe. And if in my conversation about Joe, I've told you some gossip about Joe, some juicy details about Joe, some things that, that maybe Joe didn't necessarily want you to know, but I felt like you needed to know, now comes the time when you actually meet Joe. And what do you know about Joe? So you're already tainted with all the things I've already told you about Joe. 
I've gossiped about him. I've talked about him. And now your version of Joe is seen through my lens of Joe. And it doesn't allow you to really get to know my buddy Joe. Okay? You see how gossip filters in and does that? It doesn't allow us to really know who a person is because it's planting seeds in our mind. The flip side is also true when listening to gossip. That's kind of what we just said. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan pastor, said it this way. He said, he that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. Let me read that again this morning. He that raises a slander, he that gossips, carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. Proverbs 18.8 says it this way, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into a man's innermost parts. What scripture is telling us here is that lies are literally a poison inside of us. And there's not a, a, a relationship. There is nothing that this poison doesn't affect. It poisons our root system and every relationship feels the strain of our false witness. Our missional communities feel the weight about, of it. Our fight clubs feel the weight of it. It keeps us from sharing, and we can't be fully known because when we, when we lie about who we are, it's impossible, again, for somebody to really know who we are. In missional community, you might hear excuses like, I don't know these people, or my MC just doesn't understand me or get me. We say, if these people really knew me, they'd reject me. See, these are all lies. These are all poison in our root system that keep us from believing the gospel. We often do this in our marriages as well. Maybe it's hiding receipts, or maybe it's deleting a search history. It's deception. It's lying. We do it with our kids. We take a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do approach, right? Like, no, you can't watch hours of television. It's bad for you, as I sit in front of The Bachelor with my bag of popcorn. Right? Like, it's, it's lying. It's deception. I'm saying, well, it's not good for you, but it's fine for me. Like, why is that truth for them, but not for me? It, it, it's truth for both of us. For the Israelite, the best way to live his or her life to the glory of God was to not bear false witness against their neighbor. God's saying to them, tell the truth. God knew the culture was full of liars, and he's saying, my people will not be that. My people will be people of truth. And this morning, believers, we are called to, to be people of truth. No matter what stage of life you find yourself operating out of here this morning, if you're a student, you're called to be careful with your quotation, honest with your information. If you're here this morning and you happen to be a politician, we're called to be honest about our record as well as that of our opponents. If we're in business, we're called to deal honestly with people, to have proper weights and measures in our accounting and in the way we do business with people. If we're journalists, we're called to get the story straight. Whatever line of work you find yourself in this morning, we are called to tell the truth. We're called to love our neighbor through our witness. As we get to this point, you probably should be asking, like, what's the big deal? Does God care about this? Like, okay, I've told a few lies in my life, but I've gotten to this place where I am now, and I'm here, right? Like, I've made it so far, and I'm here. Does God even care about this? Well, thankfully, you don't have to rely on just my words this morning. We get the words of Scripture. If you still have your Bible and still have your Bible open, or even if you don't have it, let's open our Bibles up to Acts chapter 5 today. We're going to get introduced to a couple uh, who had a problem with lying. Acts chapter 5, uh, and we'll read this. Uh, I'll read it over us together this morning. 
but follow along, if you will. Acts chapter 5, we're going to be introduced uh, to a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Awesome names, terrible story of what's going to play out here, though, okay? Acts chapter 5 in verse 1, we're going to start. But a, na- a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Listen to this. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So we're introduced to a couple who has a piece of land and they decide to sell that piece of land for some money, okay? And what they do is they take that land and they sell it. Uh, But what Ananias and Sapphira do is they say, well, we're going to keep some of the money back. We'll give this amount of the money, but we'll keep this amount of money back. Honestly, right now, there's, there's not a big problem, right? They were allowed to sell their land. It is theirs. They can do with it as they please. They're also allowed to sell their land and give as much of that money away as they want and keep as much of that money as they want, right? The problem with what happens with Ananias and Sapphira here is that they, um, they, well, really the simple answer is they lied, right? They lied. They said the land, here's all the money we got from the land and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter is able to somehow read through the situation and says, no, 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 something's not right here. Why are you lying about this? And we see that in a moment, it cost Ananias his life. And then his wife comes in and confirms the story, and we see here too that it costs her life. It seems like this couple wanted to be known by people as, as being generous without actually being generous. These people wanted people to believe something about them so that others would look upon them favorably. They were lying in order to build an identity on something other than their relationship with God. They wanted the approval of people more than the approval of God, and they were willing to lie to get it. They were willing to say, look at how great we are, and look at how much we've given all the while with a pocket full of cash behind them. You see, it was a lie. It was deception. They wanted people to believe something about them that they weren't, that wasn't true. And I think maybe for us, as we look at Ananias and Sapphira, we, we maybe even laugh a little, right? Like, silly Ananias and Sapphira. They should have known. Like, it's Peter that's standing before them, right? Like, but I would ask you, like, they should have known what? Like, they should have known that this was going to cost them their lives? Think about that. All they're really doing is, is misreporting their funds. They're lying about their bank account. Right? It's, it's, an, it's an error in accounting. 
Why would they think this would cost them their lives? Like when we lie, do we think that it will cost us our lives? It's just a simple error in accounting, right? It's just a filter on a picture. But the lie is the same. It's deception. This is really why we lie most of the time. We're craving someone's approval more than God's, so we lie, we exaggerate, we stretch the truth, so we look good. And we go about it with the same attitude Ananias and Sapphira had. It's no big deal. Ananias and Sapphira, if they had known they were going to die from this lie, they never would have done it. Like, let's be honest about that. Like, if you went to them and said, hey, listen, if you guys lie about how much money you got from this land, like you're going to die. There's no way they would have been like, we'll see. No, but they didn't know. They didn't believe that it was that big a deal. And I would submit to us this morning that, that we don't believe it's such a big deal either. That's why we do what we do. That's why we gossip. That's why we exaggerate. That's why we stretch the truth. You see, when we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we should be confronted with the absolute folly of sin. How can anyone lie to God and expect to get away with it? Look at what happens to the people in verse 11 when they see what's taking place here. Verse 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Why would fear come upon these people? Why would they be afraid? Listen, they're afraid because they know that they are no better than Ananias and Sapphira. They know that if these two people died because they were liars, then they too deserve to, 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 to die too, to follow the same fate that Ananias and Sapphira did. They knew they were liars too. They realized that what Ananias and Sapphira had done was no worse than any of the lies that they had ever told. If God killed these people for something like that, then they too deserved to die. There's no doubt for weeks around this event, around this town, that people were very careful not to claim that they had done anything other than what they had really done. Think about when you see the consequence of sin play out before you, there's no way that you could continue on in that sin. When you see the folly of it, when you see that it brings death, there's no way we could look at that and say, you know what, that's not going to happen to me. You just witnessed it with your own eyes, what would happen? There's no way we could say it's no big deal. Hmm. See, the ninth commandment this morning we find out is also about worship. Jesus says in John 4.23 when speaking to the woman at the well, he says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Let me read it to you again. John 4.23 But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Listen, the word used for truth here literally means hiding nothing. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and hiding nothing. You see, when we lie, we're attempting to hide who we really are. But that's not how we truly worship God. When we lie, we're attempting to hide who we really are because we are not okay being us. We feel inadequate. 
We're not confident in the love of God. So we seek to look elsewhere to try to make people think we are better than what we are. But true worshipers find themselves before God hiding nothing. Hiding nothing. So obviously the answer this morning is to not lie, right? Work harder. Do a better job of biting your tongue. Like pull up your bootstraps. You have the power to not do this. But the answer is not found in your power. The answer is found in the gospel's power. You see, my power says I can handle this on my own and I have control over my mouth. But the gospel speaks a different truth and says, no, you don't. Only the spirit has control over that. See, I believe I can do it if I really focus, if I really work hard. But how many times have you and I walked into a situation, told a lie, turned from it and thought, why did I just do that? How easy was that? Why did I, why did I go down that road? Why did I say that thing? Why did, I, why did I do that? I was just caught up in conversation and I told a lie faster than I could even think about it. Why? Because the words come from my heart just as much as they come from my mind. You see, you can make up your mind not to lie, but you can't change your heart. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can change your heart. You can make up your mind, but you can't change your heart. See, the truth of lying is is that we, we try to get a little bit ahead in life through lying, but Scripture tells us that in Christ, we have all that we will ever need. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to close with this this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. You see, we, li- we lie to try to get ahead in life, but Scripture tells us in Christ we have all that we will ever need. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. <clears throat> Blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We often lie to people because we want their blessing, but this passage here tells us that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We have every blessing we'll ever need. Verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. We often lie to people because we want them to like us. We want them to think better of us. But here in Scripture, we find out that we have been chosen by God before we ever acted in in any way, before we ever performed well enough or performed poor enough. He chose us. It keeps going that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are blanketed here. We are put, we are, these attributes are applied to us that we do not have on our own, holy and blameless. In our lying, we are not those things, but in Christ, we are those things, holy and blameless. He continues on, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. We often lie to get acceptance, but here we find that we are adopted in. That's total acceptance. Later on, Paul's going to talk about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Listen, like if you and I were going to adopt someone, we probably wouldn't adopt a dead person. But when God looks at us, he sees us and he breathes new life into our lungs and he adopts us as his own, as his sons and as his daughters through Jesus Christ, the passage tells us there. 
without any performing on our behalf, without us doing our hair up real nice, without us, uh, you know, using the right filter, without us doing all these things, we were adopted before we could do any of that. Listen, it keeps going through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us and his beloved. Listen to this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all his wisdom and all his insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Listen to this. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In our lying, we're trying to gain something we do not have. And here we are told that we have been adopted in, and now we've even been given an inheritance. It wasn't good enough just to be called a child. Now he says, I have more for you. I have blessings for you, inheritance for you. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. Listen to this. And were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, God seals it with a promise. God does not lie. God does not go back on his promise here. God does not back out and say, listen, if you start acting poorly, I'm out. No, he sealed it with a promise. God cannot lie. Those that are his are always his, and he's giving them an inheritance. This is good news for us. This gives us all the things that we're seeking by lying. God speaks a different truth about us in Jesus. You see, we've spoken a truth about ourselves that may not be true, but when Jesus speaks a truth about us, this is what he says about us. All these things we just read. Blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, lavished grace upon us. Listen, Jesus took the place of liars. He took our place on the cross and died the death we deserve to give us all the things we're trying to gain by lying. In Christ, we are made righteous, blanketed in his life, and now we stand guiltless before God. Paul later will go on to tell us that we are now new creations. We are given new hearts, new identities, and a totally new power from which to live our lives under. Remember, only the gospel can change our heart. You may be able to change your mind, but only the gospel can change your heart, changes your identity, gives you a new power in which to live your life. It's a power now that helps you escape from needing to live for the approval of others. You see, now I don't have to exaggerate and lie because the truth about us has already been displayed on the cross. All the things that Jesus says about me, he displayed on the cross. The truth of the cross is we are worse than we ever thought possible. So bad that Jesus had to die to save us from our sins. But we're also more loved than we could ever imagine. Jesus willingly died to give us new hearts, new identities, and the Holy Spirit to help us live this truth. 
Now we can go out and be people who live and tell the truth. We don't have to stretch the truth anymore to gain an advantage because we have all that we need in Jesus. We don't have to lie to get a leg up. In the scripture, we see a group of people known as the Pharisees that were content with following a bunch of rules. And when Jesus confronted them, he said, woe to you hypocrites. On the outside, you appear as people that are righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Listen, in our lying, what we've been trying to do is clean the outside of the cup while all the while the inside is filthy. But when Jesus died on the cross for you and I, he came to clean the inside of the cup while we were busy cleaning the outside. See, the gospel changes us and frees us when we're willing to confess the truth about ourself and our sin, hiding nothing. Listen, this morning... Hear Jesus' words, John 8.32, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we are willing to confess the real truth about ourselves, we see the greater truth that we need a Savior and we needed what Jesus did for us and that sets us free. Free to be honest before God and others Now that we are fully known by God and loved and accepted by Him, now we can be free to be known by others and put to death our lying tongues. Listen, this morning as we come to this table, we come as those who are honest before Christ. We come as those who know that Christ's body had to be broken to shed us free from our lying lips. We now come and receive remembering that this is solely based on His righteousness, and because of it, because of His blood being shed, we are now declared righteous underneath of it. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we've looked at the ninth commandment to not bear false witness against our neighbor, God, I pray that You would help this to make sense to us. I pray that we have we have heard that. For those of us that are believers here this morning, Father, You've created us to be a witness to a watching world about what followers of you look like. We don't have to be people that lie to get ahead because in Jesus we have everything we ever need. God, for those of us here this morning that don't know you as our Savior, who haven't confessed our sins openly before you, who haven't been honest before you, God, may today be that day. May today be that day when we recognize that we have been doing a lot of the things we're doing in our life, the lying, the deception, the stretching of truth, the gossiping, because we've wanted to have a leg up on our competition. We've wanted to be good in other people's sight. We've wanted to be generous when in fact we weren't generous. We've wanted to be kind when in fact we weren't kind. We've wanted to be all these things. And Father, this morning as we come in, we hear that we are undone before you, that there is no lying in your presence. And God, today as we see Jesus on the cross for us, may we see that that was for us, that was for our lying, that what Jesus did on the cross was to give us all the things that we have been lying to gain, and we don't have to do that anymore. God, today may your word free us from this lying to get ahead, to get an advantage. May we rest in the truth. May we be those who go out and can now be fully known by others because we are fully known and accepted by you. Father, would you work through us even in this time of communion? If there's a relationship 
we need to make right. Somebody we've been lying about that may even be here in this room this morning, may we make that relationship right. May we go to that person and confess our sin to you and confess our sin to them. And may you rid us of those lying lips today, the deceitfulness of our heart. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.